is a case from the Sherlock <coughs> Dongshan present offering before the image. Introduction. It can't be depicted. It can't be drawn. Who are turned the flip? Longia just showed half his body. Ultimately, who is in what state? The case. As Dongchang was presenting offering before the image of Yunyan, he retold the story from before about depicting the reality. A monk came forward and said, When Yunyan said, just this is it, what did he mean? Dongchang said, At that time, I nearly misunderstood my late teacher. The monk said, did Yunnan himself know it or not? Dongchan said, if he did not know it is, how could he be able to say this? If he did know it is, how could he be willing to say it? The verse. How could he be willing to say this? In the third watch, the cock crows. Dawn at the forest of homes. How would he be willing to say this? The thousand-year crane grows old with the pine in the clouds. The jewel mirror, clear and bright, shows absolute and relative. The jade machine revolves. See them both show up at once. The way of the school is greatly influential. It's regulated, steps continuous and fine. Father and son change and pass through. Oceanic is their fame. So just to give a bit of a background about this koan, in the Zen tradition it is customary to pay respect and show gratitude to the lineage. And we do it as a Sangha by chanting together the names of past teachers, right, from the Buddhas before Shakyamuni all the way to Maizumi Roshi. And on a personal level, Zen teachers would show their gratitude to their late teacher who passed away by holding memorial, yearly memorial services to the person they succeeded. And so the, the story used in this koan is taken from a time Dongshan was holding a memorial service for his teacher, Yunyan, and it is focused on a short dialogue with one of the monks who happened to be there at the time. Now this story took place about 1,200 years ago. And the tradition of paying respect to to the lineage through holy memorial services has been passed on and, and held generation after generation. But we're not doing it just to do it because it was done before us, because we have to keep up with tradition, because we have to do what others have done before. We're not doing it just to go through the motions. In the same way that we don't practice anything, right? Anything we do. 
just for the sake of going through the motions. As we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in relation to Zazen, it's not just about sitting every day. It's not just about repeating something. It's about examining what's going on. So in order to understand why it has been done all these years, we have to understand the true reason for doing it on a personal level. So we have to inquire, what is it that we are grateful for? Why show gratitude? What is it that has been passed on and now has been entrusted in us, in our hands? to pass on to future generations. Last Sunday we have a book study on the Gendrakon. We talked about how our desire to realize can actually be a hindrance to experience and realization. And this was in relation to Dogen saying, when one first seeks the Dharma, one strays far from the boundary of the Dharma. When the Dharma is correctly transmitted to the self, one is immediately an original person. Now, to go back to uh, the analogy uh, Jürgen brought up with the birds, we talked about it. So, in relation to birds, since the ability to fly is inherent in birds, the wings are there from birth. Right? And the wings cannot be given to them by their parents. But they need to be shown that they have wings. And they need to learn to trust that these wings actually work. Right? They're not there for decoration. And so while they need to watch the example of the parents' flight, they can only fly by the power of their own wings. So we can say, in relation to Dharma, that when the Dharma of flying is correctly transmitted to them by their parents, the birds realize that they have always possessed wings and always had the ability to fly. And both aspects are true. They have to be shown, yet they've always been this way. And of course, in the case of human, it's more complex. But essentially, it's the same principle, the same process. And we're born as an original person. But we have to be shown that this is the case. And we have to learn to trust it. And to learn to... To trust it has a lot to do with learning to observe intently. We, we trust habits. We trust all patterns. Very easy. That's why it's difficult. Because we have to put those aside, those that we trust dearly, we have to put them aside and listen to maybe another way of being. We have to be willing to open up to being guided. What does it mean to, to watch intently? 
how does one watch with body and mind or, or stay open to watching? Starting to somebody who about practice martial art training. Someone who's been around Aikido for a while, but before that he he practiced karate for a while, for a long time. And he said the one time he was with uh, he was at a seminar with his teacher, a master teacher. And he was demonstrating techniques, and one guy on the mat asked the teacher to explain what he was demonstrating. And the teacher looked at him and said, "If you cannot see what I'm doing, what makes you think you can understand what I'm saying?" It's very good, very much to the point. If you're not seeing, what does that mean? It means you're looking, or you're partially looking, or you're looking from the same place. From the same place that is operated by, or is operating through, habits. Right? We look from a stale place expecting to find something fresh, something new, learn something. And it means we have to change the way we open up to instructions. Right? To observe with the entire being rather than with the eyes. To look from the eyes is to automatically interpret what we see based on what we already know. Where is learning? How do we learn when we keep encountering all we know over and over again? I was in the math, I think it was two weeks ago, taking class, Aikido class, and and sometimes what we do on the mat is when it's crowded, then we split into small groups and we practice a technique in groups. And uh, so I was in a group with somebody and he was doing the technique. And my teacher came over and corrected him, told him, you need to drop, you need to bend your knees lower. He's a tall guy. So then he looked at the teacher and kind of nodded. And then the teacher went over somewhere else and he looked at me, he was right next to me, he said, well, he thinks everybody is this high, height. he thinks that it's so easy for me to do that. Right? So there was an immediate rejection. Right? To bend the knees is simple, just bend your knees. But the, the reaction was defensive. The reaction was protecting something. I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I just want to practice. But why do we bother? Why do we show up to a place of practice, a place of training? Or how do we show up to a place of training? And then he said some other things about it and Actually, the teacher came by again, told him again, bend your knees. 
how easy it is to bend the knees, how difficult it is to think about bending the knees and to analyze that and to think about what does it mean about me. How easy it is to learn when we approach learning from a place of I don't know. Or I, even what I know may be wrong. Maybe there's another way to do that. Maybe I don't know anything. Wouldn't that be great to live like that? Knowing nothing about anything or anybody. And being okay with knowing nothing about anything or anybody. Wake up in the morning, look around, study, learn, train. You know, the instructions sometimes are very clear. Right? Bend your knees, bend your sit down, sit down. And sometimes they're very subtle. You have to observe intently to see as much as possible, to learn as much as possible. And even with that, there is a gradual process of, as we learn, we learn to learn, we learn to study, and our ability to, to understand grows. I think the more we let go of what we know, our ability to understand grows. Because the ability to understand is there. What we are primarily walking with is the resistance to learning, to expanding. It is shown to us, it is, you know, we are pointed in the right direction all the time through practice, through the teachings. But ultimately, we can only experience it for ourselves. Ultimately, it is not given. All that is given is direction. Production, it says, it cannot be depicted, it cannot be drawn. Who had turned the flip? Longia just showed half his body. And ultimately, who is in what state? Now, Pua turned the flip is taken from a story when Zen master Panchan Baoji was near death. He said to the monks, Is there anyone among you guys who can draw my portrait? So many of the monks made drawings of Panchan, but none were to his liking. The monk Puya, Pua, stepped forward and said, I can draw it. Panchan said, why don't you show it to me? Pua then turned the somersault and went away. Panchan said, someday that fellow will teach others in a crazy manner. You just did a front row. Very common for Aikido practitioners, isn't it? Beautiful expression. Where is Panchan in the front row? Why was he more pleased with the front row than 
than monks, other monks trying to enjoy his portrait. What did he really want when he asked for a portrait? What do teachers want from us? What is the expectation, or what are the expectations? Longia just showed half his body. And this is alluding to a verse written by Longia. The sun rises across the mountains. The moon is full at the door. It's not that he has no body. He just wants, he doesn't want to show it all. He just doesn't want to show it all. Now who is it that doesn't want to show it all? And why wouldn't he, she, show it all? Is a teacher hiding something from a student? Is it the intent of a teacher to deceive the student? Or do we deceive ourselves in the way we are studying, in the way we train? And all a teacher can do is show, through being, through expression, to show that the Dharma cannot be given from another, cannot be taken away by another. It cannot be hidden, cannot be discovered. And who can hold the key to this simple truth? Once a monk asked Logia, who wrote the verse, do the Buddhas and ancestors have deceived, have deceptive minds or not? Logia said, you're asking whether rivers and lakes have obstructive minds or not. Although rivers and lakes don't have obstructive minds, yet sometimes there are people who can't get across them, and they become like obstacles for people. So one can't say that they don't obstruct people, right? Because rivers can be an obstruction, not because the intent to be this way. It's because of the way we try to cross them. It's because the way we perceive the river and the other bank. And he says, although the Buddhas and ancestors don't have deceptive intent, sometimes people can penetrate their meaning. And so they are, in effect, they become deceptive. Thus, one can say they don't deceive people. When one penetrates the Buddha's and ancestors' deception, then one goes beyond the Buddha's and ancestors and, for the first time, experiences their meaning. Then that person is the same as all the ancients. If one has not penetrated this understanding, but only studies the Buddhas and ancestors, then in incalculable eons, there will not be an instance of realization. Then the monk asked, how can one avoid being deceived by the Buddhas and ancestors? And Longya said, you must awaken on your own. 
you must awaken on your own is a is actually a, a very deceptive line. First, it's a very deceptive line because of the way we hear it. Well, then I must awaken on my own. What am I doing here? I'm just going to go somewhere and do my own practice and not worry about this. Right? Why bother? We talked about a couple of weeks ago. Why bother with anything? I come here so you can awaken me. Also, this place and the practice can awaken me. So you must awaken on your own is deceiving because we think it means that I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing maybe slightly different and awaken on my own without messing with my habitual way of being without feeling resistance without feeling great deal of discomfort I don't want to feel this way I know myself I hear it a lot believe it or not I know my limits. I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, if you know, then you're not studying anything. You're not willing to study anything. You're stating, I'm not willing to study. I think I mentioned before, sometimes people say, teach me, but teach me based on this, this, and that. Don't go over this. Here are the limits. Then, of course, the, the, the army of defense comes up when there is a suggestion to look at something. All the defense mechanisms come up. No, no, no. And here is why no. And an hour, two hours, three hours, 30 years can go by with wasting so much energy on defending that which is limiting that which is preventing us from seeing that we actually have wings. That we actually have wings. And that's what we talked about last week, that way we are like birds walking around on the ground for our entire lives. Meanwhile, we can fly. We just don't know that we can fly. We don't trust it. And we walk around, exhaust ourselves, because those legs are not meant to be used all the time. And with wings, you can soar over, you can glide, you can use the power of the wind. You don't have to exhaust yourself. You know, the sutras and the koans also can be deceiving. They can seem as if they are impenetrable barriers. And sometimes we don't know how to approach them. Is that discouraging? Often, yes. People work with cons, they look at cons, like, I don't want to do this. I have no idea how to look at this. And that's the point, right? We don't know how to look at it because we look at it when. We, we look at it refusing to change the way we look at it. 
thinking, I'm just going to look at it in the same manner and sooner or later it will reveal itself to me. But the koans are only about you and only about now and they can only reveal what you are willing to open up to. So if we are willing to open up, we are willing to put down what we think, what we believe, what we trust, put it down for a while. Or to put it on one side. And then experiment with different ways of looking, different ways of listening. Also experimenting with not enacting defensiveness or defensive mechanisms. What happens if I don't defend? What happens? Yeah, what happens? Is there a need to defend? Is there a need to be right? I remember a long time ago, was when I'm invited to teach somewhere else outside the Federation, I had to ask a permission in a specific way, and I did, went through the right channels. And then later on, I was actually uh, rebuked for not doing it, although I did it. So without getting into details, I said, that, okay, I'm sorry, I will try better next time. That's it. Moved on. It was pointless to say anything else. It was pointless to defend. It was pointless to do anything. Because the flow is more important than me. Far more important. It doesn't matter. It's not about being right. It's not about, here's why. I did what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't matter. Because it really doesn't matter. So yeah, sometimes the koans seem difficult because we are difficult. It's actually not that difficult if we understand that what we're looking at is the one that is looking. You know, the barrier that we encounter actually arises out of the way we listen to the teachings. Also because we have fixed ideas about what we are lacking right now and what we need in order to complete that sense of lack. So we want the teachings, we want the Dharma to give us what is missing, what is not yet there. But the Dharma is only pointing to what is already there. It's not inventing anything. It's one big flashlight showing, yes, here it is. Just this is it, as you said. It takes a long time, actually, I think primarily it takes a long time because we're very stubborn. Really stubborn. Unwilling to open up the hand. 
then we argue. So we argue with reality, essentially. As long as we argue, it's going to be very painful. And as long as we argue, wisdom remains inaccessible. And those mountains and rivers become obstacles, as long as so. Always in the words of Nagarjuna, the wisdom is like a mass of fire. It cannot be entered from any side. And then he said, right after that, wisdom is like a clear, cool pool of water. It can be entered from any side. And that's the difference. This is this one here, the one who's listening, is the one who's making the difference, whether or not it will, whether it will be mass of fire or a clear, cool pool of water, I can just gently and easily go into. And I think that us as practitioners, we experience what Nagarjuna is referring to, right? Sometimes Sometimes we feel a sense of deep connection with the souls, on the cushion, off the cushion. And then things seem to flow better, at ease, even at challenging times. Actually, sometimes people say, I don't know why I'm not stressed out right now with everything that's going on in my life. It's almost we're surprised because we're expected, we're expecting ourselves to be completely running amok based on the circumstances. And then there are moments that we feel stuck. And life seems heavy, like a huge burden that we have to carry on our shoulders, even when things are seemingly okay. I don't know why I feel this way. I've got everything I want, everything I need. I got a good job, making good money. Everything's fine. I'm healthy. Why am I not feeling better? Why do I feel stuck? In one moment, wisdom is fully accessible, the next, completely blocked. And what makes the difference? And you know, when you look at it, it if you really look at it, it comes down to one unobserved thought, one unobserved emotion, one. Hidden first. But if you look at it, it starts somewhere there. It doesn't start in the past, actually. Even with conditionings, conditionings are not something about what was. The life of conditioning is, is now. Like the only place we have true power is now. The only place to see differently is now. So to keep it clear, to keep it cool, to keep it open, we have to watch. And when you watch a thought that says, why is he or she saying this to me? Don't answer it. Don't answer it. It doesn't matter. Let the thought die. Let it die. And it will die. Everything. Especially that which is not substantiated by anything. 
And if it's the second or third or fourth thought that you catch it, fine, do it then. Let the fourth, fifth thought die. Because if you don't, emotions will follow. And more emotions will trigger more thoughts. And then, I vow to create no harm is out the window. Because I will create harm. Maybe it's the only one we have to, for all the 16 precepts, the only one we have to look at. I vow to not create harm today. And I know that if I will follow my thoughts, I will create harm. I know that if I will give energy to my thoughts, I will create harm. That's a big responsibility. The potential and capacity to experience wisdom is innate in the same way that the bird can fly. It's not in question. And if we did not have the capacity to experience great wisdom, we never will experience it. Nobody could have experienced it. So the capacity is there. Both directions, the capacity is there, even to to do harm, to create a mess, to walk around, although we have wings, to walk around for our life, that's also a capacity. Or the capacity to trust something else. So we have to just keep looking, observing our, how our attention drifts away it moves from observing, it moves from practicing not following thoughts, it moves to something else, and then so quickly the priorities change. One moment, oh, I just, I don't want to do anything, I'm just, I'm content, I don't need anything, this is good. And a moment later, no, 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 I have different priorities. So I'm going to take off my racket suit, put it down on the side, take care of business, then go back, put it back on. I'll put the practice aside for now. I'll get back to it. But it doesn't work this way. If we want to practice, if we want to understand what has been passed on from generation to generation, if we want to understand what we are responsible to uphold and pass on to others, we have to practice it all the time. All the time. So to look at all patterns of behavior and to not give them energy, to not follow. It's incredible. It's an incredible sense of freedom when we actually see an old pattern rising See it clearly. Not complain about it, not ask questions, just see it. Let it come up, let it stick around, let it subside. Incredible. I, I don't know of any greater sense of freedom. 
It doesn't come from being right. It doesn't come from having what we think we need to have. It comes from realizing that we are our only obstacles. And the reality is it takes being guided. It takes a sangha. It takes a practice. And effort. Constant effort. So to take full responsibility, because this is what it's about. It happens, it doesn't just happen here when we come and get together and sit together. It happens all the time. And sitting together should shed light on the areas of our life that we need to work on. Or maybe things we have tried to avoid looking at. Well, simple questions. For example, what areas of my life am I ignoring? Where am I slacking off? What am I pushing aside? What am I protecting when I speak and act in defensive ways? What is it that I am protecting? Don't just do it. Ask the question. What happens if I don't do it? What happens if I don't defend myself? Although I know I, I was right, right? I did everything by the book, yet I'm rebuked. What happens if I don't, just for the sake of experiment, what happens if I don't protect it? And it seems as if every cell of our body is screaming to protect, to defend, and that's where practice is most important, actually. Don't do it and see what happens. And this is not coming from a teacher. It cannot come from anybody. Because nobody can stop you from acting the way you act. Stop us from acting the way we act. It's open. It's wide open. Do whatever you want. Another question, am I willing to let go of all criteria and then value this without reservations? All criteria. But because if we follow one thought, if we go with one thought, then the criteria, the list of the criteria arrives. And then we cannot value this without reservations. Not happening. So these are all potential obstacles that actually block accessibility to wisdom. No, there are actually three hidden treasures in the practice. Greed, anger, and ignorance are considered the three hidden treasures. Yeah, three poisons. Greed, anger, and ignorance. There's so much we can learn from stupidity, our own stupidity, our own resistance, our own defensive mechanisms, our own holding, maybe, holding uh, habits 
holding on, not wanting to share, not wanting to give, time, stuff, whatever. Greed, anger, and ignorance. Learn from it. Open up. Don't reject it. Nobody says we have to... Nobody says we, we are not going to experience greed, anger, and ignorance. Take anger. There's just so much to learn from anger. It's great energy. Look at it. Use it well. Use it to go deeper. And what happens when we reject those aspects of our being? We create another sense of denial. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm just going to put on a smile. No problem. Everything is good. And who are we fooling? It's not true. And it's not what Yudman meant when he said, every day is a good day. From the depth of anger, from the depth of ignorance, we can awaken. It's all included means it's all included. Right? And I have to say over and over and over again. So I can hear it, so you can hear it. So we don't forget. You know, in a way, what has been passed on from a teacher to a successor all these years is just a reminder to not abdicate responsibility, to fully trust the innate wisdom. To not follow old patterns. Now, how do you pass that on? How do you receive what you can never lose? There's a story similar to the one in this koan. It's raising the important point of studying with the teacher yet not advocating the responsibility for one's own practice in awakening. As Dongqian was conducting a memorial service for Yunyan, another time, the monk asked, what kind of teachings did you receive when you were studying under Yunyan? Dongqian said, although I was there, I didn't receive any teachings. The monk said, then why conduct services for him? Dongqian said, I do not esteem my late teacher's virtues of Buddhist teachings. I only value the fact that he didn't explain anything to me. I only value the fact that he did not explain anything to me. The monk then said, so do you agree with your late teacher or not? Don Chan said, well, I half agree, half disagree. The monk said, why don't you completely agree? Don Chan said, if I completely agree, then I would be unfaithful to my teacher. If I completely agree, I will be unfaithful to my teacher. You know, and I think I said it before, sometimes in Aikido, you see people trying to copy their teachers. They kind of look funny because, you know, they're not the same height, not the same build. 
don't move the same way, walk different. Yet we try to copy somebody's movement. And it doesn't work. It works for the one we are looking at, but it doesn't work for us. And that's the point of we have to be shown, but we can only move by our own, by the power of our own energy. Yet we have to be shown that we have that energy or that capacity to move freely. Do not get caught up with thoughts and emotions, but to allow room for plenty of thoughts and emotions to come and go. And then to operate from a different place. A place that has, a place that is a container for everything to arise in that. So this is somebody who spent a great deal of time and energy studying, understanding, inquiring, investigating, devoted his entire lives to understanding the teachings. Yet he says, I only value the fact that my teacher did not teach me anything. Where is your responsibility? What is your responsibility? Coming here, training, practicing, deepening your understanding of the Dharma. What does it mean for you? So this is going to be part one of a talk. Uh, there's a lot to say about this. It's hard to say about nothing. So I will continue that next time. But meanwhile, look at your life, look at your responsibilities, look at your dumb responsibilities and investigate where and how you get stuck and take a chance. Take many chances every day. Not following those patterns, not explaining yourself, not defending anything, and see what happens, see where it goes. <laughs>